today's scripture comes from the book of Genesis, chapter 1, verses 26 through 31, and chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food, and it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there is evening, and there is morning, the sixth day. Chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. This is the word of the Lord. Okay, this is what was on my mind earlier. Uh, we're in... Um, for those of you who are new, we are in the middle of a series on creation. And actually, we haven't, uh, that series, we took a break from it um, at the end of November. And so we've actually already done eight parts on creation, and we haven't even gotten out of uh, Genesis chapter 1. And today, we're going to pick this up. And, um, and actually, as we go into this, not so much today's message, uh, but in the, in the upcoming message, we're going to hit on some of the most controversial stuff going on in our culture. Uh, passages such as, God made you know, them male and female. That's what it says in Genesis chapter 1. And when I was younger, nobody would have thought that was a, a controversial text. Today, that's an explosively controversial text. Um, why did I choose this series? I just want to go back to this, you know, before we, you know, um, you know uh, kind of jump back into the series. Our culture profoundly lacks a consciousness. When I say consciousness, it's not in our feeling. It's not about when we wake up and, like, this isn't how we perceive things. It's not in our mind. It's certainly not in the way we feel about the world. We lack a consciousness that this world was made. This world was created that this world isn't just a bunch of stuff that floats around. That is the story of our secular religious narrative. And so as young people grow up inside of this religious story, they have a very profound, like just like a lost view of what reality actually is like. And they don't fundamentally understand that God made the world good. It's that this passage said, after you know, God gets through everything, he says, it is very good. Very, very good. And so when they go through the world, it's just like if there's goodness, it's, is it good or is it just accident? 
And we're going through this series because we want to restore, and especially for those of you who are young. Now, maybe if you're not young, you did not grow up in a Christian church. You didn't know anything about the Bible. Maybe you're in this bucket too. Maybe you just, you're, just, you're utterly shaped by the narratives of our culture, of our secular religious ideology. So you don't really know how to think about the world as it's shaped by God, made by God, by his wisdom, and, and by his goodness. But especially for those of you who are young, what we want to give to you, what is from the, from the Lord? This is how the Bible starts. This is absolutely fundamental, the goodness of the world. And we haven't even hit yet the fall, you know, how, how we break, how we break the world. Although it's, it's impossible to talk about this without dealing with the fact that we live in a sinful, fallen world. It's impossible not to talk about it because that's how we, how we handle this world, okay? So that's the background try to restore to you a sense of the consciousness that the world was made very good by a very beautiful and amazing God. And uh, today we're going to go into a really important part of that, which is that we are made in the image of God and that there's a gift of being in the image of God that we have dominion. That's what we're going to talk about today. The message I've entitled, Dominion from Garden to City. Dominion from garden to city, okay? We ready? Part one, the very good garden to the evil city. All right, that's what we're dealing with in our world. It started with a very good garden, but now we're dealing with the evil city, right? Part one, the very good garden to the evil city. Part two, life is stewardship. That may be a strange concept to you, but we'll get to that. And I'm probably going to have to just keep that brief for today. And I, my plan is to expand that a bit more next week. But just for the sake of time, we'll keep that um, relatively brief today. And part three is from the dying world to the city of God. Okay? From the dying world to the city of God. We're going to start from the very good garden and how we ended up in the evil city. We want to close with how do we go from a dying world to the city of God, okay? So part one, the very good garden to the city of God. Let me take you to verse 26. So here's where it says, absolutely important in all of history, and it's strange that we live in a time when people utterly ignore this. We're living in such a post-Christian time that um, as I grew up, even the non-Christians understood this. This, this. this verse was just known by everybody in America. Today, it's not. And it's a strange idea that Christians believe, and, and, and probably Jews too, but, um, but everybody else, they, they don't even know this. And here it goes, verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion. All right. Let me go jump ahead to verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. And then there's that controversial part, which I won't hit today. Male and female, he created them. So think about this. You get verse 26. Let us make man in our image, after our likeness. You get to verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. In two verses, how many times has it been said? It's been said four times. Let us make man in our image. That's one. After our likeness, which is to say the same thing, but to say it again. Two. 
You get to verse 27, in his own image, a third time. And then it said again, in the image of God, he created him. All right. You think that's important? Uh, the, apparently, God doesn't think it's important enough. Let's go to verse 28. And God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And here we go. Then he says the second part again, and have dominion. And have dominion over the fish, etc., etc. I want to sit here, and let me say first something about the image of God. Um, what is the human being? What is the human being? Hmm? Um, if you meet a monkey, or if you meet a dog, like monkeys are, like mon they kind of all have a similar idea of what a monkey is. You know, you, it doesn't matter. There's different species of monkeys, but we can call them all a monkey because they kind of are like all pretty similar. Same with dogs. And if you hang out with dogs, they don't have debates about what it means to be a dog. <laughs> they don't have different ideologies or I ideas about the dogginess of our dog, that human beings do. <laughs> what does it mean to be a human being? <laughs> and I want to just start right here, and I want to propose this thing to you. The Bible says we were made, and we were made to be in the likeness of God. We are made in his image. I think that's basically synonymous. You are, there's an image, so God is a certain way. And then you guys can know, you guys kind of know what the site is. You look at yourself in the mirror. What you see is, you don't, what you see there is not exactly you. What it is, it's an image of you. <laughs> it's like you, but it's not you. Okay? It's like, okay, now you kind of see what yourself looks like. And you know what the human being is supposed to be? It's like that. <laughs> God made a creature, and when he sees this creature, he should see someone that looks like him, that thinks like him and acts like him, all right? Now, I want to say a little something more about this, all right? Do you realize that this idea of image is tremendously important? I don't know if you ever thought about this. Every culture and every even individual human being, do you know that you have an image inside your mind of what you're supposed to be like? Did you know that? You have some kind of image of what you're supposed to be like. Maybe it came from your parents. Maybe it came from a TV show, <laughs> right? Maybe it came from a picture in a magazine. So you're a young lady, and you're like, OK, I'm a woman. And then you see a picture of a beautiful woman in a magazine, and you're saying, oh, I'm, I, I should become like her, or I, I wish I could be like her. So you, you don't think you're like her. You wish you could be like her. But the image of feminine like perfection or beauty is in you. And that's inside you. And, and, and as you, even as you grow up, and it's shaping you in so many different ways. I've talked about this in other ways. Um, there's, a, there's a book I read in college called The Bluest Eye by Nobel Prize winning American author um, Toni Morrison. And you know what she talks about? She talks about how black girls would grow up with a doll. <laughs> and the doll would be blonde hair and have blue eyes. And so the black girls would grow up thinking, oh, I'm not as good because I don't have blue eyes. Ha. Huh. This is deeply human. 
deeply, deeply human. So there's an image of some kind of, and of course, what we're supposed to be as a human being, you don't generally pick an ugly image or a deficient image or something that you think is very common or low. What you're supposed to be somehow is beautiful and glorious. And as you grow up in your life, this sense of what you're being, this image that you have already inside you, and you got it not apart from, you didn't get this from God. You got it from the world somewhere. That is how you are going to try to shape your life and then shape your whole surroundings and actually shape the world. Your culture has certain ideals of what it means to be a man, what it means to be a woman, what it means to be a human being. And that gets elevated up, and the whole culture is built on that. That's what we do. And so I'm starting right here. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, 27, 28. And if you grew up inside the church, you may have never thought about this. But I, and I never thought about this when I was a kid. I was like, I just read this, we're in the image of God. What does that mean? When I was um, doing my master's work in theology, I read that the Greeks thought of it as that you were a rational creature. <laughs> you look at all the different animals, None of them are reasoning and rational. You're like, okay, well, that makes sense. So when they saw it, image of God, rational creature. That's the Greek way of understanding it, <laughs> which is really interesting. That isn't what the Bible says. The Bible doesn't say reasoning creature, but you know what the Greeks think is most is like the highest <laughs> is reasoning. <laughs> the Greeks think reasoning and rationality is the highest thing. So they actually read their culture into how they understand the Bible, and then that's how they shape their theology. That's really interesting to me. But then, when I was studying Western theology, this is actually what I learned in my seminary classes, and the more I thought about that, I go, it does not, that's not exactly what it says in the Bible. It's empirically true that human beings are reasoning, but that's not what it says in the Bible. Mm -hmm. Now, I want to say a couple more things, because we can't say everything about this image of God. It's tremendously important. And I, here's the first thing I want to say. You go into the world, we think we know what a human being is. There's some experience about it, but it's profoundly shaped by a word, an ideal, an image from you, and especially you think you chose this yourself, but you probably got it from your culture. And it's all about us. And that's one of the big, big parts of what makes the world bad. I want to just put that there first and why you're afraid in life. <laughs> if you're a, a teenager here in this room, and uh, you grew up in an East Asian culture like a lot of people in this room, or maybe a South Asian culture, or just maybe not even Asian, but you just grew up here in Silicon Valley, you have an image of what you're supposed to be, and it's probably you're supposed to be smart. And the way that that plays out is this thing called the report card. <laughs> And if you get too many of these letters that don't say you're smart, then you know what starts to happen? The image inside of you, you feel like you are failing. <laughs> and inside yourself, you start to, you start to crumble because of your faith, your belief in who you are as a human being based on the image, not from God, but from the world. <laughs> now I want to say this one more thing before we move on to the question of dominion. God made you of infinite worth. 
Every human being has infinite worth. Why? Because if you're made like him, he has infinite worth, and he has conferred that infinite worth upon you. Did you earn it? No. <laughs> it's completely by gift. The, you, the, you see that person on the street who's, who may be mentally ill or addicted, and who has no home, and babbles strange things, and is utterly broken. And in our culture, we either pity that person or despise that person. And even that own person thinks, I have no worth. But to God, Genesis chapter 1, 26 says, he has infinite worth. You have infinite worth, all by gift. Never, it's not something you ever have to earn. But you do have to believe it. You do have to believe what the Bible says. Because if you believe what the world says, you're going to go in that direction. Okay? But you've been giving you, just by being born human, you've been given something of infinite worth. And your life thus has tremendous possibility and promise and goodness in it. Even if you haven't yet quite discovered it, that's the truth. Okay? Now, I want to get into this this image of God, how is it expressed? The one I want, one way the image of God is expressed is this, is it says, this is what the Bible teaches. Let them have dominion, verse 26. Verse 28, God bless them. Be fruitful and multiply. We'll talk about that later, okay? Have dominion. And, um, and I want to start talking about what does dominion mean here? And one of the ways that God blessed human beings. So you've heard this growing up. I've heard this growing up. The lion is the king of the jungle. You ever heard this? You know this? No. Lion King. You've seen the movie The Lion King? It's a nice movie. Okay. It's, to, it's total nonsense. Okay. It's called, it should be called The Human King. The lion is not the king of the jungle. The lion is not the king of anything. <laughs> human beings have dominion over creation. It's given to us by God. <laughs> and I want to just start like right here. Um, we have been, we collectively, not just you individually, we collectively have been placed in charge here in creation. And we're supposed to shape and discover and rule over creation like God. <laughs> like God. So. Our culture says, we just showed up by accidents. This is a secular accident, 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 accident. It's this thing called, you know, this, there's this word, and how did this happen? And every time I hear this word, I always just think it's a magical word. You ever hear this word? Let this thing happen. And then the magician goes, abracadabra, or something like that, right? And then whoosh, and then, you know, then the bird shows up, <laughs> okay? Or something disappears. And we go, ooh, right? And no, there's a magical word. But did you know that our secular culture in its religious story uses a magical word? <laughs> that magical word is evolution. <laughs> How did these human beings become, have, get these attributes? Intelligence. How did they get intelligence? How did they get emotion? How did they build beauty? How do they even know what beauty is? How do they have right and wrong and truth and false? and purpose. Where do all these things come from? And you know what our culture story is? They, then, they, then they give you the magic word. 
evolution. <laughs> All these accidents happen. Accident, accident, and then you have this really totally weird creature that has nothing like any other creature. But you know what? The Bible gives you, at one level, a simple answer and a tremendously complex and profound answer, which is the image of God. And then, what do human beings do? We have dominion. Now, uh, what are we supposed to do with this? What are we supposed to do with this? And so this is the absolutely incredible, we're not even out of chapter 1 of the Bible. And this is what God has conferred upon human beings. He says, so I want you to think a little bit about this. Sometimes some of you wonder why God doesn't just snap his fingers and give you a great job. Why doesn't just God just snap his fingers and then just heal you of disease? Why doesn't God just go boom like this and then there's a feast of food on your table? Why doesn't he do that? It's because of this passage. He made us to be like him. And all of chapter 1, you know what it is? You know what God is doing? He works. <laughs> and you know what he's always doing? He's always bringing about something good, 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 very, very good. And you know what he wants us to do? Work. Good, good, good. Very, very good. And then he wants us to rule over the creation. And you know what he's inviting us into? Be my partner. <laughs> the creation isn't going to be just, I'll snap my fingers and everything will just be done. I have now made this thing, which the Bible is very interesting, calls a garden. <laughs> and you will get a chance to have dominion, and you'll get to do good, 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 and make things very, very good, like me. So part of the reason why God doesn't just snap his fingers, I call it the zap theology. A lot of us wish, you know, like we, 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 we want zap theology. Zap, and it just happens. Cancer gone. Zap, I'm rich. Zap, you know, and then I, I, you know, I, have, the, I have the most beautiful girlfriend of all time. Right? You know what God wants? He wants you to grow. He wants you to be like him. Now I'm going to take you to this. I'm going to take you to a, a concept. Have you ever heard of something called the cultural mandate? You ever heard of this thing called the cultural mandate? And let me show you this verse. Chapter 1, verse 28. We're going to read this. I want you to see, again, just the parts that, are, that I've highlighted here. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion. Um, I went off to uh, graduate school, and I read this book, and they said, Oh, there's this thing called the cultural mandate. It's in the Bible. It's in the Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. And all the time I grew up, I heard, what? What are you talking about? I never heard anybody talk about this thing called cultural mandate, and it's in the Bible. I'm like, it is? <laughs> There's nothing, it didn't say culture, it didn't say anything like this in the Bible. What is it? So then I read this passage, and I looked at this, and I went like, uh, excuse me, I don't see it. Do you see it? Do you think there's a mandate from God when you read that verse and see a mandate to build culture? Do you see that? I didn't see it. Right. Um, it took me some time to read and think. And, um, and then it started to tumble out. And I began to realize 
This is kind of sometimes how the Bible is. The Bible has incredible efficiency of teaching. And as you allow this, you know, what it's saying to start to unfurl, you just, a whole world comes out. A whole world comes out. It's not just one or two things. As when, you have like a, when you have a third grade Sunday schoolers, you just read this, you have a third grade Sunday schoolers, but as you grow older, you realize, wow, there's something a lot more there. So I'm going to take, I'm going to take you to a little conceptual apparatus that's been very helpful for me. And it took me a while to, um, so I'm going to give you what I call the five C's, right? So it first starts with covenant, okay? It starts with this, covenant. What is covenant? Covenant is God, he is the ruler of all things, and then he says, partner together, and then you will be my partner. So God covenants, he says, I, I'm the ruler of all things. And then we're going to make creation, Covenant always has three parties. God, the ultimate judge, and then there's two parties that then they promise to one another and they partner under God. The way you know this the best is marriage. Marriage is not a contract. There's three parties. There's God, there's husband and wife, and solemn vows are made and a, and a lifelong union is made in a covenant under God. But this is how the covenant is under God. He's the creator. And then he says, and now we're going to have dominion over the earth. He's one partner. You know who's the other partner? It's us. <laughs> so he's the creator. And now he's going to be the ruler. He's going to have dominion. Creator, God is creator. God have, is now his ruler. And then this is the extraordinary thing. He says, do this with me. It's with covenant. It starts with covenant. People understand we're doing this together. And we're sealed together under God. And now we are, it's strange. We're partnering with God. And now we're going to answer to God. Okay? This is how covenant works. That's the first. So God, as creator, now gives us a call, which is a really shocking thing before you even get out of the chapter, which is, it's not just he who's going to rule the world. He's saying, I've made you in my image. Go out there and shape the world and make it glorious and beautiful because I'm glorious and beautiful. All right? So that's covenant. Out of covenant comes all kinds of other promises. And then the next one, it leads to, I'll, I'll call it the next C is community. The covenant was like this. Be fruitful and multiply and then go and subdue the earth. Now, how is Adam going to do that by himself? He can't. So how he, he, God gave him a wife <laughs> so they can be fruitful and multiply. And inside that, now they have the covenant that we call marriage. As soon as you have the covenant of marriage, you know what you have? You have community. It is not good for Adam to be alone. It's not good for the man to be alone. So you know what God did? Out of covenant, he gives community. So you have the fundamental community of marriage, and then you get children. So I'll, I'll say more about this in just in the, in the future. The foundation of all of a, a world and creation making is right here. It's God, it's covenant, it's husband and wife, and then family and community building. And in our culture, it's all completely broken. <laughs> it's all utterly broken. 
And in our culture, we're dying. <laughs> Every culture that's utterly brokenness, they, they're not having babies, and they're all dying. And so it always starts with covenant. So let's just start right here. And like I said, that's a future. So we're going to come back to this, okay? But first it's with covenant. Then we get to community. And then you get to culture. <laughs> so you see it now? Be fruitful. Multiply. Have dominion. Subdue the earth. How do you do it? Culture is how people do it together. <laughs> how we live out our deepest beliefs and our values together. How we go into the world and we make the world good. We wake up every day to go do our work and we make the world good. That's culture. So there it is, the cultural mandate. But that's not where it ends. You start multiplying more and more people, you have culture, and then you know what you get to? You get to city. So here's how the Bible goes. It starts with the garden. It ends in a city. You know where it starts? Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. That's where it starts. And that's the thing that you know, I learned called the cultural mandate. It ends in city. It actually doesn't exactly end in city. We'll go one more, which is city leads to civilization. A whole way of life. Kivitas is the Latin word for city, but it means the way of the city. Not just of the city. It isn't the city. It's the way of the city. And a whole nations and whole ways. And you know what this is, history is? History is the way human beings do culture, and they do grand culture, which we call, there's, it builds great cities, and then we get civilizations, and they're all built to fail. <laughs> they're all built to fail. Because none of them are built on the image of God. None of them. <laughs> they're all built on the image of whatever glorious thing that we think we are as man. They're all built that way, right? And let me just take you to one more passage. Um, and this is the way God intended it. This is Habakkuk. I know, I know most people never like read Habakkuk. You ever read Habakkuk? <laughs> okay. Habakkuk um, is one of the so-called minor prophets. It's not minor because it's uh, less important, but because it's a shorter book. And they're always all, and most of the prophets call forth Israel on the ways they are building human culture on the image of man and filled with oppression and injustice and evil and building the evil city as opposed to building the culture of God and building a beautiful city. And here is the way Habakkuk puts it when God calls him to say this really tough word to the people of Israel. Chapter 2, verse 12. Woe to him who builds a town with blood and founds a city on iniquity. <laughs> Woe to him who builds a town with blood and founds a city on iniquity. And let me just ask you this question. What great civilization is free of this? <laughs> is there any great civilization or even a city if you walk through any important city in the world, there are people working like slaves in that city. There are people sold as prostitutes in that city. There's always wickedness and crime in that city. There's always an ugly part of the underbelly of the politics of that city. It's utterly normal. And every 
empire and every civilization is guilty of this. Wolfing builds a town with blood and founds a city, builds a civilization on iniquity. And you know, this is the way, this is the way every uh, nation does it. They tell you a history. You know what the history they tell you? The whitewashed one. This is what makes us great. This is what makes us beautiful. You know what they're giving you? They're giving you the image of man according to their culture. The Korean version, the Japanese version, the white American version. I mean, you just name it. They have some version. You, what is the, the fights going on in our culture today? There are, there's been the whitewashed, white Western version. And then some people are angry about that. So now they want a version, some kind of like the Afrocentric version. It's all still built on a whitewashed. We'll give you the cleaned up version of the image of man. And then some people come along and say, you know, there's a dirty underbelly there too. And it's always true. It's always true. Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 12, verse 13. Behold, it is not from the Lord of hosts. That's not the way God does it. That people's labor merely for fire and nations weary themselves for nothing. Let me just stop here for a moment. Weary for fire. You know what fire here means? <laughs> How do we get energy? How do you get the gas in your car? People have to go get this oil out of the ground. Then they have to ship it to this refinery. And then they put it on a truck. And they bring it here. And then they put it into your, you put it in your car so that the spark will light for fire. <laughs> People's labor merely for fire and nations weary themselves for nothing. All kinds of cities are built on this. We're going to tell stories. We're going to tell stories, and then there'll be views, and then the views will get us more money, <laughs> and then tomorrow they'll t forget the story. And then let's do it again. We'll tell a different story, and we're going to put a pretty face on there, and we'll get cool music, and then there'll be more views, and then we'll get more money, and then they'll forget that story. Weary for nothing. And I want to just say this for a little something. Is this how you feel that life is like? Is this how you feel that life is like? This is the way of the image of man. And this is how we do dominion. But this is the way God intended it when he gave us the image of God. And then when he gave us dominion. Verse 14. This is the way it's ultimately going to be. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord, of Yahweh, as the waters cover the seas. When God made the world, this was his plan. And when God said, let's make you, <laughs> let me put infinite worth upon them and then covenant with them to be my partners, this is the way he wanted it to be. Okay, okay I'm looking at the clock. And I've overshot how much you're going to be to our part one. You know, I'm going, to, I'm going to give you a very brief part two, and then I'm going to get a part three, okay? Part two. I'll just go to the text, Genesis chapter 2, verse 15 to 17. Here's, what, here's the passage. It's a short verse, but very, very important, all right? The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. 
to work it and keep it. Let me just say a little something about you. All those of you who want to retire by the time you're 30 years old, throw that idea away, please. <laughs> Why did God put you in creation? To work it and keep it. You're intended to work six days. Okay? We're, we're, we're nice in our culture. We let you work five days. If you want to wake up in the morning to do nothing, you're not being like God. <laughs> you, are, you actually should like work. Work is cursed, but to work it and keep it. But then verse 16, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. I won't go into a full into this. You, shall, you can eat. That's one of the things that we do in life. If you don't eat, you will die. But do you know eating is more than just fuel for your body? Eating is living. <laughs> You guys, you, guys, you guys agree with me? When you wake up in the day, if you don't eat that day, doesn't that seem like a really lousy day? If you just shove food into your mouth, eating a Big Mac in your car, that's not a great meal. But even if you have ramen with your daughter at 10 o'clock at night and you laugh, eating is living. God said, eat. And then you have all this life. But, and this is important, there are limits. <laughs> and here's the most important limit. There is an authority above us. It's the covenant of this tree. I think the line was even arbitrary. I have, okay, so a lot of you probably think it was an apple. It never says that it's an apple. It might have been a kumquat, guys. <laughs> all right? Here's the forbidden kumquat. I had no idea what it was. I'm, I'm interested. As soon as we get up there, I said, well, what was the fruit? What was it? And it, it, we'll all laugh when we find out it was a kumquat, right? But we don't know what it is. Which exact fruit is, is not important. What's important is the principle that we are partnered with God and we are under him. And now we have a stewardship. I'm just going to give you this definition and we'll just have to wait till next week, and I'll, I'll unpack this some more. The definition of steward, if you've never heard this, is that you don't own it. You're responsible to somebody else. So this thing where God says, you can't cross this line, it's a reminder. The whole creation is like a garden. You can eat all the fruit. <laughs> you can eat all the stuff. You can enjoy, taste, the sweetness, the bitterness, enjoy, eat, and drink in all its splendor. You know, when I think about this, you know, one of my closest friends and I, we're actually going through this thing right now where we talk about the, I mean, this is what I'm like, all right? You want to know what I do in my free time? I have uh, texting chats about whether Bach is better than Beethoven, okay? This is what I'm doing. You know what this is? I'm eating of the beauty of the glory of creation through my ears, and I'm joining that meal with one of my best friends. It's the gift of God, right? The glory of the beauty of music. But you know what? There's a line. And that line is a reminder. He's the owner. We are the stewards. And I'll say more about this next week, but I think you already know, and I'll just say this now. How many of you wake up in the day and say, you know what? There's something glorious about God, from God in me. <laughs> There's something glorious about God in me. 
And this is strange. My, you know, one of my best friends that we have these conversations with about music, he's an atheist. But he understands music better than a lot, a lot of you Christians. Because what is glorious, he knows. We even have had theological conversations about this. <laughs> he, he goes, I, said, I even said to him, why do you think it's beautiful? Is it just an accident in your brain because you've been evolved? And uh, he, he won't answer that question. <laughs> or do you think there's something, I go, I, let, me, let me give you, I say, there's two camps in the world that say that this is an eternal reality. One is Christians and Jews from the Bible, and the other was Plato. The Greeks said that there's something beautiful of eternal. And that's what you're hearing. That's what we're hearing. And you know what that is? Remain the image of God. And we have this stewardship. The stewardship to hear the music, to make the music. Let me close... Um, let me close with uh, part three, from the dying world to the city of God. We wake up every day, and what is so beautiful, we're not interested in that. <laughs> Mostly we wake up every day and said, we've got to put a meal on the table. <laughs> Let me make myself look presentable. <laughs> hey, I don't have a girlfriend. I've got to go find one. <laughs> so before I get on the app or however people date today, which I don't know how, I'm so old, I don't know how you do it, okay? But, so that's how you think. And you know what? We're all filled with the image of man, without God. This is how we do our work. This is how we think of, it's like money is important, but not the glory of God in the work. That's not, that's not important. How about how you date? The glory of God in her, and I will help Sow the glory of God in her and out of her. That's, you know, that's what dating is for. You know that's what dating is for? So that you'll get to covenant called marriage. And then you will put dominion over your body. And she'll put dominion over her body. And you'll, now that you're married to her, you have some dominion over her. Now that you own her and she has dominion over you. That's, that's an equal dominion, by the way. You have a claim on each other. And you know what you're supposed to do? The glory of God as the earth covers the seas. Her glory, which is the glory of God in her, that's what we're intended to do. And we never do any of that stuff. And so the world is a dying world when God is trying to build an eternal city. And I want to take you to a passage that most people don't generally think about. And this is the way I want to give you the gospel to close. How do we get to this more beautiful culture and city? And so let me take you to... He Hebrews chapter 10, verse 8. And I have to kind of condense certain this, and I'm going to take you through this passage, and this is the way we're going to close this message, okay? Hebrews 10, verse 8. When he said above, that's God, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and in sin offerings, that's, this, is a, 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 you know, this is a prophecy in the Old Testament. These are offered according to the law. So, I know I'm just George jumping in. What it's saying here is God is not interested in our religiosity. You have not desired, you, you do not take pleasure in our sacrifice and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings. So this is how we do our world. You go on the world, we go with the real world, we're gonna go make money and get successful according to the image of man and build an evil city where those infinitely 
valuable people over there, because they're poor and of the wrong skin color, we're just going to ignore them and let them die. That's how our city works. Because I just got to make sure I'm over here where my life is good. And then we do religion. <laughs> what do we do? Sacrifice and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings. God doesn't like this. <clears throat> then he added, Behold, I have come to do your will. Who is this? This is a reference to Jesus. There was a human being, Adam, which basically just means human being, right? The man. He was made in the infinite glory of God. And then he decided to be a human being in his own will, according to his own image. But there was one who was God who became man. And he showed up and he said, I have come to do your will, God. He, that is Jesus, does away with the first in order to establish the second. You know what he does away with? This junky religiosity where we do the junky image of man. He does away with that so he can build something new. Hmm. Verse 10. And by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. So he came to do the will of God, to obey where we do not obey. He came to be human in the image of God, and then to bring dominion in God's way over the creation through obedience and to know the heart of God. And it was strange. He came to die. Hmm. Let me jump ahead to verse 14. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are, who are being sanctified, that is being made holy. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us for after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. And then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. So here's why Jesus came. He came to be human in the Genesis 1, chapter 26 way. Because we refused to be it that way. We could not do it that way. And then he started covenant. See it? I told you, it starts with covenant. This is the covenant I will make with them. So he washes us with his blood of all our iniquity. And then you know what he does? When we will be in his image, I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. So all of God's beautiful ways will be on us. And then when we go out in the world, we will now be human like God. Huh. I want to jump ahead to chapter 13. There's a bunch of other incredible theology, but just to, you know, to the portion that's relevant to what we're talking about today. Chapter 13, and I want to close this. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate, the gate of the city, in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. 
For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Here's where I want to close this message. Brothers and sisters, we live in a culture, in a city, with a culture built on the glory of the image of man. And you know, there's all this fighting going on in our culture. You have kind of right-wing image of man and left-wing image of man. And it's still all just image of man. This side is going, justice, justice, justice. This side is going, freedom, freedom, freedom. But do you notice? It's all still built on the image of man. And who has had their sins washed away to a God who has said, I will come and do your will, God and put on their hearts a new way, a new heart. And so, here's what I want to close this message. Um, you know, our, our church, we just finished our, our, our value series. You know what our seventh value is? It's a city. <laughs> we live in a city, and you know what this passage says? In this world, you have no lasting city. But, you know, God loves the city. He said, build it in chapter 1, verse 26. <laughs> but he wants us to build his city. We're intended to be in this city to build his city. And you know how this passage says? Go outside the gate and receive the reproach that he, rep he received, Jesus received. Jesus came to bring the city of God, the city of man, thus rejected him, and murdered him. But by that evil act, we have been cleansed. <laughs> Here's what I want to ask all of you who are part of Revive. If you're not part of Revive, maybe you'll hear this call too. I know you're nervous about your jobs, and you're nervous about living in this culture, and if we come out of the closet in my company, and I live for Jesus, then I will receive reproach. <laughs> Because our city does not like the ways of Jesus. But here's where I want to close. There's a very, very good creation. And our city is an evil and dying city. In this city, this is not your lasting city. But God has called you to the city that's dying so that in Christ, we can share his reproach to build the city that is everlasting. Would you receive the spirit of Christ, the washing of Christ, the identity of his citizenship? Receive the reproach of our neighbors. This is not your city. But we will love this city for his city. Can you hear that? This is the call of dominion. You were actually born for this. You were born to build an everlasting city. And so Christians everywhere, you know what we're going to be? We're going to be weird. We're intended to be weird. We're actually intended to be offensive. Because when we do city the way the dying city does, they're going to go, that's not our way. <laughs> that's not our way. We're going to be offensive. Some of it we do they will like. Some of it we do they will hate. And here's what I want to say. God has called you right at the beginning of the Bible to build the city of God. 
dominion of the image of God. Did you receive that? By his grace, infinite glory given to you by creation and infinite glory that we get to help build together in the city of God by the gospel. Let's pray. Lord, this is a, a big idea. It's a hard idea. It utterly flips our lives upside down. Everything that we're used to, all the ideologies and lies, of what we think is so important because this is the way we've been conditioned by our schools, by our culture, by our forefathers. Some of us, we have uh, multiple versions of the image of man. We have the one I grew up with, the, my, my father's Korean forefathers, image of man, then I come to America, then I pick up the American forefathers image of man, and there's some parts of it that's true to you. Help us to retain, if there's some place in our culture that agrees with your word, we can honor that, but all of it always is about us and not from you and for you. Thank you, Lord, that as creator, you gifted us with infinite worth. And then when we broke it, as Redeemer, you came to say, I'm calling you back to dominion, my way, the good way, so that the city, which is always becoming very, very bad, Lord, you came so it could become very, very good. Help us to run after you and even receive the reproaches of our city so we can build your city. In Jesus' name, amen.